As we continue our study through the Bible, we're coming to the books of First and Second Peter. We are obviously getting near the end of the Bible, and but these are fascinating books for us to study and to understand. But as we begin, I want to think about one of the greatest travelers of the modern era, although since it was around 150 to 200 years ago, we might not necessarily consider it the modern era. The person that is said to have opened up Africa more than any other was the explorer and missionary David Livingston. Livingston began as a missionary, and as he began as a missionary, he was working at a time when mission work was just beginning, and there were different methods in mission work that maybe were not the most effective at that point in time. Generally, they were not only trying to lead them to the Lord, but they were trying to lead them to European uh, standards as well, and so uh, the, the model of missions was very different. And he traveled several different places, and as he ended up traveling, searching for those that were interested, uh, there was one chief that did become a Christian from his labors, and that chief then actually brought Christianity to a number of others. But as he was traveling through these mission stations, he became the first documented European to uh, travel across from, well, he went different ways, but basically from the west to the east of Africa. And uh, as he witnessed things there, there was something major that really became, as he did these travels through Africa, that really became the center of his life and of his burden. He witnessed slave trading at the very heart of where it took place in Africa, and there were stronger tribes that would coordinate and would steal villages and people from other tribes and would deliver them to the Portuguese and to the Arab slave traders. And as he was there, his great desire, his great burden was to bring an end to this terrible slave trade and particularly the aspect of it that began right there in Africa. And he came up with the idea that if he could open up Africa to commerce and to settlements that would be bringing Christianity and a different way to live for the tribes there, that it would bring an end to slavery. His travels were some map that shows some of the travels. He was primarily exploring in what would be referred to as the Great Lakes region of Africa. In fact, as he was there, he's the first European that we know of to come across uh, Victoria Falls. He named them after Queen Victoria there. But as he was traveling, he went back. He had basically three major times when he was exploring there in Africa, his mission service and exploration. His last major uh, event, in which he actually died in this trip, he was searching for the headwaters of the Nile River, so the source of the Nile. So his plan was, after he had come back and gone back and was being funded, and he was going to find the source of the Nile and then sail down the Nile and come out at Egypt, and then he would have opened up the entire interior of Africa. Things didn't work out like he expected or planned. His porters that he hired stole or threw out his medicine and his supplies. Now, the food that he lost was one thing. What he felt the worst about, literally felt the worst about, (laughs) was the loss of his medicine. 
because he's in the Great Lakes region of Africa. Guess what that means? It means malaria everywhere. Mosquitoes everywhere because of all the water and malaria widespread. In fact, his wife had come to go with him on one of the expeditions. She arrived there and within a month later, she died from malaria. He ended up, of course, he had spent so many years in Africa. He had some, you do build up some, I'm not sure how, but it it does uh, it does happen. You build up some tolerance to malaria. And so he didn't end up dying, but he kept getting sick and again and again and didn't have food and all of these various things uh, from uh, the malaria, from the lack of food. And uh, he basically became confused and became wandering around. He ended up depending on the Arab slave traders to provide for him, which was anathema to him. But it was his only possibility. As he's there basically by himself, trying to survive without medicine, without food, he orders more supplies. They're dropped off at a, at a town. He finally makes it there, and the supplies have been stolen. His weakened condition is hard to describe the sufferings that he endured with the purpose of bringing an end to the slave trade and seeking to open Africa to Christianity, to commerce, and to the gospel. And while Africa was David Livingston's second home, It's interesting that many of the colonial explorers during this era were not appreciated for good reasons by many of those in Africa. David Livingston is still uh, looked up to by people there. And although they buried his heart in Africa, and then famously his two loyal servants or loyal co-workers, whatever, natives there, carried his body actually a thousand miles uh, to the port city, and then it was transported back to, uh, to England after he died. But think of what it was like to be in the heart of the jungles of Africa with no medicine, and virtually no supplies. By the way, we know what it was like because not only did they carry his body, but they carried his journals that he had kept during all of those years as well. And although his heart was buried there and he loved the people and the continent of Africa, yet he was still a stranger there, enduring trials as a stranger in Africa. And I believe as we look at the books of First and Second Peter, one of the unifying themes, not the only unifying theme, but one of the unifying themes is pilgrims and strangers. Peter is writing to the believers, exhorting them, encouraging them to remember and to always remember that they are strangers. But not only are they strangers, that needs to permeate how they live. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, or to the strangers of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Who does Peter write to here? In his very first words, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to who? To the strangers. It's the King James, pilgrims, New King James. To the foreigners. 
I'm writing to the strangers. Now, Peter was a no, no stranger to them. He was one of the prominent disciples, one of the prominent apostles. And it seems like Peter is probably laboring in Rome as he writes First Peter here. At least that's what the seems to be like. We know Peter ended up dying in Rome. And he's connected with those that seem to have some connection with Rome. So probably he's writing from Rome. He's at the heart of the capital of the empire and the world at that time, basically. And Peter, as he's writing from Rome, he's writing not to the believers. They are believers, but that's not how he addresses them. To his fellow Christians... They write, the different writers write differently depending on on what their theme and what their context is. John introduces himself as a brother in companions and tribulation. There's significance behind that. Peter writes to the strangers. Peter says, yes, I'm in Rome. Yes, I'm at the heart of Rome. Yes, I am here, but we are all strangers. What does it mean to be a stranger? You don't fit in, do you? Things are different. And so Peter writes to the strangers. And what do these books tell us about the life of a stranger or about being a stranger? Let's read first few verses here, verses 3 and 4 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. What does Peter say here? (laughs) He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then it says, According as his abundant mercy has given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And then it says, what is our living hope? An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled reserved in heaven for you. Peter writes to the strangers and what does he say? You have an inheritance. What was their inheritance, so to speak, in this world? If Peter is writing, as it seems, just before the persecution of Christians by Nero, their inheritance was to be accused. Some of their inheritance in this world was to be fed to lions. Others was to be thrown into prison. Others were simply to be martyred in other or different ways. What they were facing in this world was not that great. And Peter says... You're strangers. But even though you're strangers here, remember your inheritance reserved in heaven for you. Remember your destination. Is that important for us if we're going to live the life of a stranger to remember what our destination is? Do you ever find it easy to become comfortable here? We go through life, we 
go to our jobs, we come home, we pay our bills, we enjoy the various things of life. But Peter writes and says, you're strangers, you are not at home. And if you're not at home, you have another home. And what is your other home? It's an inheritance in heaven that is reserved for you. In a strange land, everything is strange. If you've ever been out of the country, you're familiar with that. As you arrive in your country that you are traveling through as a stranger, you start to notice all sorts of things that nobody else notices. And after you've been there for a few weeks, you don't notice them anymore either. (laughs) Remember a friend of mine one time, the first time that he went to uh, Africa. And uh, I wasn't there that time, but another friend of mine was. uh, And... uh, He arrived, and the other friend had been there several weeks before. And after several weeks, you start to become accustomed to what's taking place around you. And one of the things, at least in this area at this time, was everybody on all the roads, all the time, are honking their horns. We used to joke that if your car did not have an engine, that really wasn't that big of a problem. If it didn't have a transmission, that you could get around that. But if it didn't have a horn, you needed to fix that immediately because you were in very big trouble if you didn't have a horn. That's an exaggeration, of course. But the horn is used for everything. Someone walks in front of you, you honk the horn. You pass somebody, you honk the horn. Another car is coming, you honk the horn. And sometimes it seems like you just honk the horn just for the fun of it. Taxis are driving by, and most of the cars are taxis. And every time they see somebody walking on the side of the road, they have a special honk of the horn that they're asking you, do you want to ride in my taxi? And so you can imagine that with these horns honking all the time, all around you, when you first arrive, that's a little bit unusual. We have horns, but we don't use them that much. And so my friend arrives, and as he arrives, and he hears all this honking going on everywhere. He says, well, sounds like they're happy, doesn't it? (laughs) My other friend had kind of become accustomed to it. The danger of where, when, whenever we are in an area for a time, this isn't always a danger, this can be a good thing. It'd be a good thing to get used to the horns honking because it doesn't, it just becomes a part of life. But, You become accustomed to what is going on around you and you forget that things are different. And Peter writes to the Christians, but he writes to them as strangers. And he says, we have a living hope. We have a living hope reserved in heaven. We have an inheritance there. This world is not our home. Now, when you travel somewhere, you recognize all the differences and you recognize that you're not at home. But, you know, after I'd been to Africa several times, at first everything was the bizarre. Everything was unfamiliar. I was noticing everything. After I'd been there several times, it was normal. I didn't notice the things anymore because, yeah, 
I'm used to the horns honking. I'm used to people being out by the roadside all night waiting until they sell whatever little things they're selling so that they can make their quota for that day. I'm used to there being noise and people and smells all over. You just become used to it. And Peter is concerned that the Christians are becoming used to the world that they're living in. And that's still, not still, I think it's an even greater problem for us today. It's easier for us to be comfortable in this world than it was for the Christians in early Rome to become comfortable in this world. And Peter writes and he says, you have a living hope. You have an inheritance undefiled in heaven. Think about it. Look towards that. Notice verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, you're grieved right now a little bit. You're grieved a little bit by these trials. And as you're grieved by these trials, remember that it's the testing of your faith that God wants to produce this gold of faith that works by love so that you may be found at your real home, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, where you will no longer be a stranger. How many of us enjoy trials? I don't think there's very many, right? There may be a few, I'm not sure. But probably it's the vast minority. Peter might have been able to read the handwriting, so to speak, on the wall. He might have been able to read that trials were about ready to come. And he's writing all throughout First Peter in particular. Sufferings, trials, but remember... You're a stranger here. Let's go to verses 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, these in these few verses that we've looked at right here, we've noticed several times where he points them in heaven, your inheritance in heaven, going to be brought at the revelation. And here it is again, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice he keeps pointing them forward. Then notice what he says, verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. You're going to have trials. You're a stranger. But even though you're going to have trials because you're a stranger, think about the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only are we to think about the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he says we are to live our lives to reveal that as well. He quotes from Leviticus here, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Be holy in all your conversation. Be holy in all of your conduct. 
you're strangers. There's sufferings. There's trials here. But keep revealing that you're a stranger. Because what happens many times? You become like those you're around. And I was in Africa, West Africa and Ghana. They would enjoy to tell me about foreigners, I'm not sure which nationality they were, that had traveled there and I was careful about things like washing my hands and I always, even before, years before COVID, whenever I traveled, I always carried a bottle of hand sanitizer with me. And I was careful about sanitizing my hands and I'd try not to get too much of uh, anything that had native, uh, the, some of the water that hadn't been purified. And when I, at that time, I didn't carry a water purifier. I, afterward, I started carrying a water purifier with me and things like that. But as they would see me being trying to be careful about washing my hands and things of this nature, and there were certain foods that I had real trouble with. And they would like to tell me about some foreigners that came. And, oh, they live like us now. They eat foo-foo with their hands, and they don't worry about anything like this. It's fine, not a problem. That's not a moral issue one way or the other. But their point was, if you stayed there long enough, you'd become like us. And that's Peter's point too. If you don't remember that you're a stranger, you're going to become like those that you should be a stranger among. Resisting is difficult. And as we live in this world, we become accustomed to the things of this world, the lifestyle of this world, the diet of this world, the dress of this world. But worse of all, the thinking of this world. One of the most interesting things about being a stranger in a strange culture is that the thought processes are totally different from your own. Through cultural, the way the culture is developed, the way that life is looked at, the thought processes and the way you deal with things are totally different. I was taking a class on missiology one time and I was talking, one of the teachers was talking about the different, and she was grouping them by language patterns, how, the, how arriving at a decision, come, how you arrive at a decision in a different language and culture. She said, we think in English, we think linear, uh, in a linear manner. So point one, oh, there's a sub point here and there. Point two, another sub point said, in German, it's a dialectic way of dealing with it. You present a thesis and then a contrary thesis, and it's more of a debating type of style of coming to a decision. said, in French, the thought process there, it's discretionary. So she said, the way it works is if somebody's trying to convince you of something, they start with their point here, and then they wander all over to these different areas that seem to have no point at all, and then, bang, you come to the final point right there. She said she was talking with somebody about that uh, uh, in, uh, I don't remember the exact situation, but how the they were uh, listening to sermons and said, you, 
What is this? The, your French preachers are just going all over. Yeah, that's the way it is supposed to be. <laughs> and then she related another one of, those were the, I can't remember, those were one category, and then there were three other categories. One was the more of the Far Eastern. And where everybody just kind of goes in a circle around it, the point because it's a, you don't make a strong point because it's a shame and honor society, which is a major thing when looking at different cultures. Shame and honor society, so, so no, nobody wants to be shamed. And so they're not going to make a point. Everybody's just going to talk around it, and then everybody will figure out the point because everybody's talked around the point. That helped me, actually. Because when I realized, when she, when she put that together... I remember dealing with others that from that culture. The thought process is different. No matter how long they might have lived here, the thought process can be different. They described another one of like an African village and there's a chief and everybody gets up and says their point and it goes around and around and finally the chief gives a consensus from everybody. What am I, what am I trying to point out here? The thinking in different cultures is different. It's not just the food. It's not just the dress. It's not just the noise. It's not just how you live. It's the thought process that is different. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to, there's value to all different thought processes. But Peter is writing and saying, you're strangers. Don't allow your thought process to be hijacked, to become like those of the world. Focusing on the things of the world. Focusing on the things taking place in the world. Don't let your thinking be hijacked. Let's go to chapter 2 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, let's read verses... 5, 9, and 10. Goes to another point. It says, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Notice verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You are strangers with another inheritance, but you are strangers with another fast. You are strangers with a special calling. You have a high calling. Strangers are different because you're on a mission. And he repeats to them, your living stone, spiritual house, holy priesthood, verse 9, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. He is emphasizing all the ways that he can that you are different, you are special, you have a calling, you have a mission. Don't be hijacked of your mission. Don't be hijacked from your calling. When strangers forget their mission and their destination, they no longer are strangers. They're at home wherever they are. If your destination is not different and your mission is not different, you have become assimilated to culture around you. And Peter says, you have another resurrection. Uh, Inheritance reserved in heaven for you. And you have a calling. You are special. You are different. You are peculiar. You have a mission. 
Don't forget your destination. Don't forget your mission. If you do that, you're no longer a stranger. I read of uh, James Joseph Dresnock, a young, uh, I don't remember, I think it was army that he was serving in, but I don't remember what branch. Served two years in Germany, signed up again, was sent over to the Korean Peninsula was serving right outside the, or serving right at the demilitarization line. And uh, apparently he got into a little trouble. He was going to be court-martialed because he had gotten forged signatures for his leaves or something like that. Instead of face that, when everybody was eating lunch, he ran across the demilitarization line, which wasn't demilitarized, wasn't, anyway, it was full of mines and everything. He ran across and deserted to the North Korean army. He was used to try to encourage other, he had, there was, I believe, six GIs that deserted to North Korea, that are known about. He was used by the North Korean propaganda to try to get others to desert. He appeared in propaganda films and became known by some of the names and what he appeared in some of those films. A few years ago, He died in North Korea. Never left North Korea. He warned his sons never go back to the United States or something like that. He was no longer a stranger, was he? He had forgot his mission. He had forgot his destination. He was no longer a stranger. He was absorbed into the culture around him. Now, it's not wrong to become a part of a different culture here as a moral thing. But Peter writes and says, you have a special destination. You have a special calling or mission. Don't be absorbed into what's around you. Let's read verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Once again, he writes to them, Beloved, as strangers, as pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust that war against the soul. Keep your destination and your mission clearly in view. Yes, you're going to endure suffering. That's okay. But keep your mission and your destination in view so that you will continue to be strangers. He writes something else. It's very interesting in the context of when he's writing it. Let's read it in verses 13 through um, 13 through 15. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Actually, let's read 16 and 17 as well. As free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the king. Notice he just said you're pilgrims and strangers. And then what does he say? 
Obey the government, basically. Obey, and not just government. He says, submit uh, every ordinance for the Lord's, uh, of man for the Lord's sake, whether it's the king or governors or whoever else. Honor all people, fear the, honor the king, all of this type of things. Why is he saying that in the context that they're strangers? He didn't want them to be suffering by bringing... Let me back up. He did not want them to endure trials simply because they were careless with following the earthly ordinances as long as it didn't conflict with God's ordinances, with the heavenly. Why? Because strangers have to be even more careful that they're obedient because they can be picked out. If you're not familiar with that, I've been, well... I've seen that again and again. One time when I was in Angola, I had my passport. I had my, you have to have, to get into Angola, you have to have a yellow fever vaccination. I had that. I was on, I had a missionary ID. I had a letter of invitation, all of these things. Everything I had to, I had it all down. Stopped at a soldier at checkpoint. Soldier got on the bus. Everybody lift your ID card. Everybody lift their ID card. I lift my passport. Did what I was told. Well, he could see I was a stranger. And so he kept coming to the back. He said, passport. Gave him the passport. Speaking to me in Portuguese. Passport, which I wasn't understanding very well. Passport. I give him the passport. Yellow fever card. I give him the yellow fever card. Missionary ID. I gave them the missionary ID. I'd never been asked for missionary ID before, but I was right then. Missionary ID. Letter of invitation. You have to have a letter of invitation to go to Angola. I had my letter of invitation. I handed it over to him. Come with me. And everybody on the bus started getting upset with the soldier. Because they're like, he has everything you're asking for. He doesn't have anything wrong. Let this bus go. You don't shouldn't detain us. He has everything. What do you think would have happened if I didn't have everything I needed? Yeah, it would have been even worse. He would have wanted even more money than what he already wanted, right? (laughs) And so, when you're a stranger, you have to be careful to make sure because you've got a target on your back in some places. And so Peter writes and says, look, we're living in Rome. We're in the Roman Empire. We're strangers here. They might do anything they can to accuse us. Make sure that you are submitting to all the ordinances, that you're doing whatever you need to, so that when you get in trouble, it's not for these silly things, but it's for God's cause. Kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did they obey the government? That's a trick question. (laughs) They did at first, didn't they? It wasn't against their faith for them to go. They could have stayed home and faked being sick. Of course, that would have been dishonest and that would have been wrong morally. They obeyed as much as they could. But when it was a violation of the Ten Commandments, they could go no further, right? They stood up. You know, in the 100 years ago, 140 years ago, when there were Sunday laws in the southern part of the United States, there were those that believed it was their duty to keep the Sabbath, which is true, it was. But they also believed it was their duty to work on the first day of the week. The Bible does say, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Sister White wrote and said, that's going beyond what you need. You can do missionary work on Sunday and not violate that law. And your influence will go further. 
And that's what Peter's saying. You're strangers. You have a target on your back, so to speak. So make sure that you're obeying the ordinance. So that when you do suffer, it's for the right reason. He moves on. Let's read verse 21. First Peter chapter 2. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Did Jesus suffer? He suffered more than we can imagine. Was Jesus a stranger in this world? Jesus was a stranger here. And so Peter says, you're going through trials. Yes, I understand. Follow your master. Jesus was a stranger. You're a stranger. Follow him. And he brings this out multiple times. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Christ suffered. We're to suffer as well. Notice, let's go to verses 12 and 13, chapter 4. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Once again, Jesus was a stranger. He went through difficulties. He went through challenges. You will too. And then what does he say? Don't think it's strange. It's not strange for strangers to go through fiery trials. But rejoice because you're a partaker of Christ's suffering. And I said, how many of us like suffering? Nobody. But yet the Bible ethic is that we're to rejoice in trials and suffering. Doesn't mean we look for it. Doesn't mean we have to enjoy it. But we can still praise God in the midst, can't we? Don't think it's strange. You're following in the footsteps of the Master. But remember your destination and remember your mission and remember the one that's gone before you. Verse 19 of chapter 4. Therefore, Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. We commit our souls to him, trusting in him. Let's go very briefly to 2 Peter chapter, uh, the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter focuses on strangers that are suffering for their faith. Second Peter focuses on strangers that have a precious faith that are looking forward to their final destination. Notice here, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have a special faith, a precious faith. Verse 16 says, you didn't follow cunningly devised fables. Chapter 2 goes through all the false teachers that were coming. You have a precious faith. You're a stranger with a precious faith, a mission to share that precious faith with others. And then chapter 3 Verses 12 and 13. 
looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What do strangers look for? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. A new earth in which righteousness dwells. Strangers are focusing on the promise at the end. Enduring suffering now? Yes. Going through trials now? Yes. But looking to that promise at the end. I can remember multiple times when I've been overseas counting down the days. Counting down the hours. Counting the legs of the journey until I could be at home. Thinking of who was going to meet me there at the airport. Replaying it in my mind again and again. If we do that here on this earth, how much more should we do it as strangers looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's not forget our destination. Let's not forget our mission. And let's be looking forward, recognizing we are strangers here, but also knowing that strangers will eventually make it home. Jesus will come. We will have an inheritance undefiled. All the sufferings, the trials, the difficulties that we endure here will fade into nothing. Because we're strangers. Let's remember that we are strangers ever and always.